Welcome to Hauser Community Church Online. Let's join Pastor as the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts and unpacks the Word of God for us. After the message, we'll tell you how to contact us. Thank you, Mike. If you will, uh, bow with me for the pastoral prayer. Lord, we pray with David, blessed are you, O Lord, our Father forever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and on the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. We praise you, Lord. We we thank you. We come before you in need of your forgiveness this morning. Sin seems to cling so closely to us. Even though we've experienced your grace on the cross, we often live by sight and not by faith. We often speak harshly and not with love. We don't show mercy as we've been shown in Christ. Jesus, you're our only hope. And we leave these sins at the foot of the cross, and we ask that you sustain us by the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask that you would remind us of your grace and keep us from turning to you. I thank you that we can pray this in confidence, knowing that you do forgive us, knowing that you are cleansing us from all unrighteousness. Lord, we continue to pray for the sick, for the hurting among us, We ask that you would bring healing, comfort, answers. Lord, I pray for those who are suffering that you will remind us that Jesus suffered and will remind us um, that you will remind us that Jesus suffered a far greater pain in absorbing our sin on the cross and suffering for our sin. Lord, in our pain, we ask that you would bring us closer to you Help us to pray, to focus on you, the suffering servant. We ask, Lord, that you would guide us in our lives. There's so many different situations going on as we come in this room, and so many needs, and so many wants, and desires, and pains, and hurts. And we ask, Lord, that you would guide us, teach us to follow you. We ask now, Holy Spirit, that you would move in this place that you would awaken us to live for the king and for his kingdom, that you would open our minds to your word, our hearts to your nudging this morning, our lives to your rule. We ask, Lord, that you would save any who are here this morning that don't know you, that you would proclaim by the power of your spirit the truth of the gospel to them. Lord, I ask that you would strengthen me now to proclaim your word, that you would give me physical strength and a sensitive spirit to your leading. My hope is in you, Lord. In Jesus' precious name, amen. All right, kiddos, you are released. That is important. You need that. Well, good morning, church. 
I'm going to ask you to bear with me this morning. I am having quite a bit of back trouble, and uh, I might struggle, but I am confident that the Lord has a mighty word for us this morning, and I know that he is going to speak to us even through the weakness of my body. I just pray it's not distracting to you. So if you will, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 2, very familiar passage this morning, Mike read. Um, And up to this point, what we've seen in Acts is Jesus has revealed himself as the um, resurrected Savior, as the resurrected Christ. He's taught of the kingdom of God. He, He gathered his disciples and taught them for 40 days of the kingdom of God. He told them to return to to Israel, that they needed to wait for the Holy Spirit, that they were going to be witnesses to the entire world through uh, the power of the Holy Spirit. We see Jesus ascend to the right hand of the Father. He's reigning and ruling. And then we see that the disciples obeyed. They come together, they join together in prayer, and they're united and devoted for one purpose— They're calling for the Spirit to come. They want to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus. They install Matthias as the 12th apostle. So to say the least, they're not being lazy. They're not just moping around and and just hoping that something happens and then the Lord smacks them with the Holy Spirit. They've been in this deep study of the word and they've been walking with the resurrected Christ. They've been in fellowship with other believers. They've been devoted to prayer and obedience to the Lord God Almighty. Church, we have to be the same. We need to be devoted together. We need to be focused on one mission together. Our, our, our nation is suffering. Our school, our children are suffering. Our families, our friends. And, and we need to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ in one accord. We need to devote ourselves to prayer. The focus of the passage today is the Holy Spirit enables the body of Christ to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. We can't do it without him. We don't want to do it without him. And that's the beauty of the mission. We're not alone. He doesn't give us this, go tell all the nations of the good news and I'm not going to help you. He's he's with us. We're not even expected to be perfect or to, to know everything. We're just to trust and obey. We're to do what he's called us to do because it's the Holy Spirit who empowers us to share the gospel. So let's begin looking at Pentecost. There's a lot of symbolism in here. I tried to shorten my sermon because I thought, well, my back's hurting, so I'm going to preach shorter time. It's not going to happen, so just bear with me. There's just, I'm just so excited about this passage. There's so much in here that we need to see. But if you look at, at verse 1 in, in Acts chapter 2, it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. A Pentecost, it means 50. 
The word means 50. It's, it's referring to 50 days after the Passover. So um, we had the Passover, and now 50 days later is where we are. And that's, it's the Greek way of referring to the Old Testament Feast of Weeks or Day of First Fruits that they would celebrate after Passover. The feast was a celebration of God's provision. He's providing the harvest. They celebrate. They're celebrating the harvest. And it was, it was a celebration that everyone could enjoy. We see this in Deuteronomy 16, 21. It says, And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your son and your daughter and your male servant and your female servant and the Levite who's within your towns and the sojourner and the fatherless and the widow and who are among you at the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. We see it's for everyone, um, not just the, those who um, are good Jews, but even the sojourners, not just the rich, even the fatherless and the widow, and, and everyone is, is to celebrate this harvest. The Feast of Weeks had this unifying message, the Lord blesses those who follow him. It was a celebration. And by the time we get to Acts 2, Pentecost had become the celebration not only of the harvest, but of the giving of the law of Moses at Mount Sinai. So they, the Jewish people had taken, the Lord delivered them, they celebrated Passover, and about 50 days later, they were receiving the law on Mount Sinai. So they, they took that and they said, we're going to celebrate the giving of God's word, the Torah, to his people also. So Pentecost, it, didn't just, it wasn't just a celebration of the wheat harvest, it was a celebration of God giving the bread of the word to his people. It's a reminder um, we see in Deuteronomy 8.3, man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And this is the mindset that we have in, in, in Acts 2 here. And the timing of the feast is also significant because it would have been early on in the year, so this was like a mini harvest. They were taking and they were celebrating this little harvest that was kind of anticipating a greater harvest. It was a celebration of the, what's coming later on. We know that there's going to be this grand harvest, so we're going to celebrate on the Feast of Weeks and that we're just looking forward to the really big harvest later on. And listen, Pentecost here in Acts 2, the Lord pours out his spirit on 120 people, on the disciples that are there. And just a few days later in Acts 2, 41, we see he pours his spirit out on 3,000. And this is the beginning of this little harvest. This is a little part of the harvest of that God is going to bless the nations. It's a celebration of the harvest coming where all nations would come in, multitudes, as many as the stars in the sky, God tells Abraham. You see, the Feast of Weeks is... It's a celebration of God's provision. But in the shadow of the cross, ignited by the power of the Holy Spirit, it becomes a celebration of the harvest of souls into the kingdom of God. They have this little celebration here, but it's going to explode to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit, church, enables the advancement of the kingdom of God beginning in Acts and continuing until he returns. 
Let's continue to look at the text. Verse two. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. This is a lot more than a weather report. He's not saying, oh, it was windy out. Uh, It just sounded like wind. This is a mighty rushing wind came from heaven. And I firmly believe that this is Luke saying, um, in Jesus in Acts 1, 11, he went into heaven. And the disciples are standing there and they're longing for him to be back. And then he points and says, this wind comes from heaven. Jesus ascended to heaven. The spirit came from heaven also. He promised them, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. This is a reminder for his people. Even though the bodily Christ is not here, I am with you. I know a lot of times we feel alone. We feel like we're struggling by ourselves. We're not alone, church. A lot of times it feels the church is fighting alone. We're fighting a battle we cannot win, but we're not alone. As a believer, the Spirit of God dwells in you, comforting you if you let him, leading you if you will listen to him, strengthening you when you are weak. And I honestly believe this mighty rushing wind would have transported their minds back into passages where like Elisha is Elijah, excuse me, is on the mountain and and God reveals himself. God says, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by in a great and strong wind, tore the mountains and broke to pieces the rocks before the Lord. That they would have thought about this call of Elijah to go and preach the good news. They would have thought about Job when Lord the Lord arrives um, and speaks with him in a whirlwind, it says in Job 38. Or when he calls Ezekiel, and Ezekiel says that, and I looked. Behold, a stormy wind came out of the north and a great cloud with brightness around it and fire flashing forth continually and in the midst of the fire, as it were, gleaming metal. It was the Lord revealing himself. This mighty rushing wind throughout the Old Testament revealed first that the Lord was present. He's here. They would have known that. It reveals, secondly, he has something to say. You better be listening. And thirdly, his people had something to do. He tells them, Jesus tells them in in Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then you can go and hang out in your bedroom and not worry about anything. No, he says, you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth, you have something to do when you receive the Spirit of God. And the mighty rushing winds, it would have made them think of passages like Genesis 1-2. And he said, oh, I'm behind. Hold on. I saved you that one. You can look it up. Ezekiel 2. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit, the wind of God, was hovering over the face of the waters. It would have been pneuma in the New Testament means spirit or wind, and and ruach in the Old Testament means spirit or wind, and they would have made that connection. God is here. And in Ezekiel 37, 9, and he said to me, prophesy to the breath, the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, 
and breathe on these slain that they may live. If you remember, that's the valley of the bones. And, and he says, uh, Ezekiel, can they live again? And he says, well, I don't know. He's smart. You know. <laughs> you're, you're God. And he tells them, breathe the wind into them. Raise up these dead bones. You see, the sound of wind was a reminder of creation, of something new is happening, of new life. Something new is beginning. And we have that here in Acts 2. And this is the exciting church. And I really hope you're taking notes and that you'll go back and you'll meditate on this later. There's so much imagery right here in these verses. In Pentecost, we see the first fruits of a greater harvest. In the wind, we see the presence of God calling his people and empowering them. And then look at verse 3. It gets really crazy. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Fire is also a sign of God's presence. It would have taken them back to Exodus 3. And the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And the Lord saw that he turned aside to see. And God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. He said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, the place which you are standing is holy ground. It was the presence of God. The fire was a sign of God's presence, the same in Exodus 13, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. And all this is written to build in your minds and in your hearts the understanding of this significant event of what's going on in Acts 2. This is something amazing. That God did not leave his people behind when he ascended into heaven. He is here. He's, He's with his people. He's among his people. And the fact that the tongues are divided is extremely important Divided doesn't mean forked tongues. That would be snake-like and just weird here. Um, that's not what it means. I remember as a kid thinking, that is really weird. Why, why would that happen? And I would have loved to have seen that. But it means distributed. That's what the word means. The tongues were, of fire were distributed among those who were there. So we know, if you read your Old Testament, the presence of God was in one place. He stayed in one location. He was in the temple in Jerusalem or with the, the temple as, or the tabernacle as they traveled around, but in one location. But here in Luke, Luke I mean, here in Acts, we were in Luke for so long, I just want to be there. Here in Acts, Luke is saying that every believer is now indwelled by the Spirit of God. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It was divided among the believers. Paul picks this up later. He says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Do you not know that, he says. 
So can you see Luke developing this scene for us? The harvest is here in part, and it's coming in fullness. He will gather the wheat. He will gather his people. The presence of God is among us. The Holy Spirit dwells in every believer, just as God promised in Jeremiah 31, in Ezekiel 36, in Ezekiel 11, in other places. So the stage is set for the kingdom to come here. And we get to verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, just as Jesus had promised. This is going to happen. Peter says this means, if you look at verse 17 in Acts 2, he says, this was uttered by Joel before in the Old Testament. In the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke and the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day and shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The time has come Luke is saying that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And I just want to briefly discuss the difference between, he says they were filled with the Spirit, and what Paul writes later on, being filled filled with the Spirit. He says, don't get drunk on wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And the reason I want to jump there just really quickly is because I think sometimes we get to this passage and we think the, the, the disciples receive the Spirit like this blank canvas receives paint. But these disciples had been with Jesus. They had learned from him. They had prayed. They devoted themselves to him, to his mission. They followed him. He said, you follow me. You deny yourself. You take up your cross. And they said, we will do that. They had left everything they had to follow Jesus. They were not just somebody that got hit with the Holy Spirit and then started proclaiming this. Now, that does happen later on, but we have to have that same desire, that same devotion, church. At salvation, we initially are filled with the Holy Spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit. He enables us to pray. He enables us to have faith, to learn, to obey what he tells us. But we have all of these other competing voices in our head. But as we grow by reading the word and living in obedience and and deep and intimate prayer by ourselves and with others, we're being filled by the Spirit more and more. We're being washed by the word. We're being tuned into his voice. We can hear what he wants us to do more and more. You must be filled by the Spirit in faith. But you must also be being filled by the Spirit. It's probably not grammatically correct, but that's okay. The Lord has a ministry for each one of us. Here being filled with the Spirit, it manifests, we see, in speaking in tongues. 
And regardless of what, what we think about speaking in tongues this morning, it's very evident that right here in Acts 2, what is going on is they are speaking in different languages. We see in verse 6, the sound of the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. In verse 8, how is it that we hear each one of um, us? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Verse 11, both Jews, proselytes, Cretans, and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So what happened was, 120 disciples are proclaiming the excellencies of God in other languages so that the nations that had come into Jerusalem could hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And this experience is unique. I think some of us fall in the trap of, well, I, um, what, I see this happen in, in Acts 2, and, and I when I believed in the Lord, um, I didn't hear this mighty rushing wind and I didn't speak another language and I kind of feel like a failure. I must have missed something. Well, that's not the case here. God is doing something new. He's, he's the experience the disciples have. They have this extravagant experience because this extravagant new message they're carrying to the end of the earth needs to be known. But Jesus tells Thomas, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Now from one angle we see the Spirit moving in the disciples in this amazing and miraculous way. From the other angle we see the Holy Spirit drawing his people. Look at verse 5 and 6. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. So first we see God has drawn the crowds to Jerusalem. This was Pentecost, so they would have been there. There would have been a lot of Jews uh, from all over the world, the known world at least there. It's important to see that Look at the text. Um, verse 5. Devout men from every nation under heaven. We can't miss this point. It's, Luke is billboarding this point for us. From every nation. It should be very familiar that we're hearing every nation. We start thinking great commission. But if we need to ask ourselves, what would that have meant to them? What, what would they have thought of when they thought of every nation under heaven? And the Jew at that time would have said, well, Genesis 10 and 11 tells us what every nation is. Now, if you remember, in Genesis 11, we have the Tower of Babel, and, and but the people are building this, this temple or this tower, and God disperses them all over the face of the world, and they, he changes their language. Genesis 10, which is written before Genesis 11, I know that's not groundbreaking, um, but it's actually chronologically after your way, it would be this way, after Genesis 11. It's, it's showing 70 nations that came from that scattering. So God scatters, scatters everyone in Genesis 11, and out of that come 70 nations. So here's the point. God is drawing in those people who rebelled. 
He's drawing in the lost to himself. We see here, I don't know how well you can see that, but this is the known world at that time, and the different colors correspond with the different nations that were spread out at the Tower of Babel. And you might be thinking, this seems like a stretch Those are devout Jews. They weren't the rebellious people from thousands of years ago. I don't know why you're showing us a map. This is very exciting for me. That's why I'm doing it. (laughs) I hope it excites you also. Because we know that Israel in 722, so years after this spreading in Genesis 11, so just log this map in your head. Um, I know it says Ham, Shem, and Jepheth, and you're like, I don't know where those countries are. Those are not, those are people. Um, but this is the Middle East, well, that area. We have Africa and, and all of that, and Italy is the little boot there. And um, In 722, God disperses his people because they rebel. So we have the same map, not very clear, I know. I should have worked on that, but that's Okay. In the same spots. So he, the, the, the areas where in Genesis 11, the 70 nations go, we also see um, when Israel rebels, God sends Israel in the same locations that those 70 people, 70 nations were. So that once again, the Lord scatters his people, the ones who rebel against him. So here's the point. Why are you telling us this, Greg? God, in his great mercy, brings them back to Jerusalem to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. He brings them back. And if we could truly see God's grace in how he draws his people, drawing them from every nation, drawing all those who turn on him. And I know some of you have uh, loved ones and friends and, and kids that have turned from the Lord, but I want you to look at these crazy maps and see that God, he draws his people back to himself. Just pray, pray for his mercy, pray in faith that he would bring them back to him. And to whom are they drawn? Look at, look at the text. He draws them into Jerusalem. He draws them into this group of 120 people. They're drawn to the disciples that have just received the Spirit and the power to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. So they hear this mighty rushing wind and they come to see what's going on. And and the Lord in his mercy, he didn't just draw them to an empty room. He brought them to people that knew the word. Years ago, um, one of our missionaries in Austria, Scott, Scott Walt told a story. I can't remember if he just told me or told it in here. It doesn't matter. Of a time where these Middle Eastern men just showed up, and they are in Austria. They're not in Afghanistan. They, but they show up to the church that they're ministering at, and they say, we had a dream about a man named Jesus, and we were told to come here. Like God is still moving in great and mighty ways, church. He's still drawing his people to himself. And for us, it might look different. You say, well, that's never happened to me. Yeah, me either. But your situation is different. He puts us all in different locations so that he can draw people to us and we can tell them of the Lord. But we need to be ready to tell them. 
The disciples were waiting in prayer. They were studying in unity and and devoted and desiring for the Lord to use them, and he did. Do you desire to be used by the Lord? Are you devoting yourself to prayer? Are you united by the body of Christ? Are you pursuing the Lord? Are you being filled with the Spirit? If you are, then cry out for the Lord to draw people to you. You might be thinking, but I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do, but I want you to hear me. If you're in the Word, if you're in prayer, if you're in fellowship with believers, the Spirit of God will tell you what to say. He will lead you, He will fill you, He will advance His kingdom. He promises to do that. He uses a bunch of messed up people to do it. And we can say the same thing for us. We know that we are messed up. But God says, I want to use you because I am making you new. I'm making you like me. The Lord has empowered his disciples. He's, He's drawn them in from all over the world. And finally, we see the Holy Spirit enables the gospel to reach the ends of the earth. So if you haven't picked it up yet, what's going on in Acts 2 is God is reversing the Tower of Babel. They were brought to the Tower of Babel and he said, I need you to go all over the earth. Or they were brought, they were after the flood, excuse me. He says, I I want you to expand. I want you to build the, the godly kingdom. I want you to go and make and multiply and and rule the earth, and they don't. They come to the Tower of Babel, and they say, we're going to be gods ourselves instead of listen to Yahweh. But now in Acts 2, he's he's brought them back together, and he's saying, I'm going to put a new spirit in you, and I want you to go to the ends of the earth and tell of the kingdom of God, of Jesus Christ, and I'm going to help you do that. So those who were dispersed in Genesis 11, cursed with different languages, gone in the Syrian exile, they've returned, and we see, I'm going to show you one more map, same area, this is, Mike did a great job reading these names, they were amazed and astonished, they're saying, are not these speaking Galileans, like, so that, that dot in the middle, isn't that where they're from? How is it that we hear each one of us in our own native language? Parthians, that's one of those red boxes that comes in. Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phyrusia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews, proselytes, so God-fearers, Cretans, and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So you see that God has drawn them all back in and he's about to push them back out so that the whole world will hear the good news of Jesus Christ. This language barrier is momentarily being broken so that everyone hears the good news and they can go home and tell the good news. The promise of the Father to Jesus in Psalm 2.8 is being fulfilled. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. This is how we, church, are able to make disciples of all nations. 
And the beauty of the dispersed Jews is that God is re- reversing the curse of their rebellion. He, he sent them out to the nations because they were being cursed because they were rebelling against him. But now he's forgiven them and he's telling them, go home and tell other rebels that they can come and be saved. What happened at Pentecost restored what was broken. God recreated, he's recreating his broken world And that echoes from here throughout the book of Acts until the end of the age when Jesus returns. So what are some really practical steps we can take? First, realize if you're a Christian, you're part of God building his kingdom. This is your calling. This is what we are to do. And yeah, I know it's scary. and We don't always know what to do. But second, We should be in constant preparation, reading the word, hearing the word, being united together in prayer, in fellowship, being filled with the Holy Spirit. And third, look for opportunities to serve and display the love of Christ to the non-believing world around you. And have a willingness and the ability to tell them the hope that is within you. Look at the last two verses. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking, saying, they're filled with new wine. They're just drunk. They're idiots. There's two responses in this passage. Some were amazed and they acquired what was going on. Some mocked. If you're an unbeliever this morning, you can either inquire of what's going on here, why a bunch of weirdos come together and pray and listen to somebody talk for 45 minutes. Or you can mock what we do and what we say. But either way, we're held accountable. The same fire that purifies the church is the same fire that condemns and judges those who turn from the Lord. But all who call on the name of Jesus Christ will be saved. There's mercy for all. It doesn't say some, it doesn't say, well, if you get your life together, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And believer, are you living a life that's empowered by the Holy Spirit? Or are you quenching his voice so much that you don't even hear it anymore? Are you so wrapped up in daily life that you've forgotten your call to advance the kingdom of God? Is your Bible so dusty, your prayer life so irregular, your church attendance so sporadic that you don't hear the Spirit anymore? If so, there's mercy. Repent and turn to Jesus. Church, we have this mighty God who does mighty things and saves his people. Let's tell the world. Let's pray. Father God, you are so gracious. You're so merciful. I thank you for this passage. There's just so much in it that I want to dwell on, and I want your people to dwell on, and but I don't want us to just sit and study and and think about how awesome this is. 
I want us to see our, our position in this story, our, our role in the ministry of bringing people to you, of, of expanding your kingdom. It's a certain thing. He said, my kingdom will come. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. I pray, Lord, that you give us boldness to move out into the world, to go from here to our lives and tell people the good news of Jesus Christ. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for this word. Holy Spirit, would you anchor it into our hearts so that we obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us at Hauser Community Church Online. Check back next week for the next unpacking of the word of God. Please feel free to contact us with any questions you might have about the message or for pastor at area code 541-756-2591 or email us at pray at hauserchurch.org. Again, that's P-R-A-Y at H-A-U-S-E-R-C-H-U-R-C-H dot O-R-G. Our address is 69411 Wildwood Road, North Bend, Oregon. 97459. Remember, if you're seeking the truth, it will set you free. And that truth is Jesus Christ.